All right, guys. Well, welcome back to our, another week of the Rethink Movement. Um, I know we were a bit quiet over the last couple of weeks. We got last week's uh, last week's uh, podcast out, which is good, and we've sort of recorded this one ready to go. Um, so uh, I've got Mitch with me again this week. How are you, mate? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. Keeping safe. That's Keep- why pandemic that we're experiencing hmm yeah yeah <laughs> it's a bit like that yeah uh, all right so today we basically we put out or we put out a poll with, um questions on what you guys wanted us to, to chat about um so we're just going to run through a couple of those today and we'll see where it takes us all right so all the first question that we had mitch Cool. So all three questions um, kind of fit in the wheelhouse of kind of strength training. So we had um, someone just put, put something out about, you know, you and I have done a bit of a workshop or two on, on strength. Um, you know, I, I kind of work in the S&C space a little bit. Um, the second one was about power uh, and some of the stuff that I've, I've taught at the uni for athletic development. Um, which I obviously do a little bit of work with that. And then the final one was pretty cool, uh, which was how genetics um, may or may not affect uh, recovery and, and things like that. So still kind of looking in the space of kind of training and, and uh, strength adaptation. So if we just kind of talk in the wheelhouse of like strength and power, I think we'll kind of broadly address all three. Yep. Um, and probably piss a few people off in the process, which is always fun. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's just kind of, I don't know, start with strength, I guess. Strength training. Um, well, what is strength? <laughs> probably a good start. Well, I like to actually, do, not define it, but, but an example I like to give people just to kind of get them thinking uh, along the right lines of of what we're going to talk about here is uh, you don't lift a heavier weight to get strong. You lift a heavier weight because you got stronger. Yeah. So never really looked at it that way. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting way to frame it. Hey, yeah, definitely. It's a lot of people think the pursuit of strength is, is constantly lifting a heavier weight, but the definition of strength is, is kind of not, uh, being uh, able to lift the heavier weight until you have gotten stronger. So yeah. uh, strength is a process. Uh, it's not as such an, an end goal, for example. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of pretty much, pretty much it um, in terms of kind of an operational definition. Um, it's, you know, one of the ba- most basic principles is obviously we're going to be talking about progressive overload. Um, but in, in saying that, progressive overload is pretty friggin' easy. Um, it's just simplified. Yeah, gradually putting more weight on the bar. Um, now, I do just want to kind of have a quick sidebar um, and just kind of say, from literature, we kind of understand that intensity appears, or inten- when we talk about uh, in strength training terms, we talk about intensity. Uh, we're talking about essentially absolute loading um, or even relative loading. We're talking about load on the bar. Uh, when we talk about volume, we're pretty much talking about number of reps. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about strength, uh, intensity seems to be the um, most potent driver of strength. 
and for hypertrophy, volume seems to be the most potent driver. Uh, so for strength training, when we talk progressive overload, we're talking about gradually putting more weight on the bar. Uh, and when we're talking about it for hypertrophy, uh, we're talking about gradually doing more volume. So instead of adding more weight uh, each week, you might add more reps, um, which is something that I only started doing maybe two or three years ago with my clients uh, and myself was kind of adding more reps because I don't know, coming through, you know, uni and just PT, like everyone's just, you just put more weight on the bike. Yeah. Just do your, you know, three sets of 10 to 12. Uh, once you get three sets of 12, you put another 2.5 kilos on um, and just keep going. Uh, but then when we kind of understand that volume and intensity seem to drive different adaptation, we can kind of use that to our advantage. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you think we should, we should start just kind of broadly talking about strength with honestly, we're probably just going to talk about strength training. Um, <laughs> probably not even get to the other two. Um, where do you think we should start? Um, I guess, yeah, sort of like, I guess it's interesting. We could, um, in terms of where we both started doing or focusing more on strength training for ourselves and how, and what we've learned from that. Um, we've probably, I think we've touched on it before, but we've probably gone more depth, in depth um, and then sort of related back to what, what we've sort of discovered as we've yeah, looked into the literature more and, mm. and um, yeah, so um, I guess we both sort of, well, both old PT, we sort of got caught up in the, uh, the strength game. As much, yeah. What do we start off with? Just the usual five. Five three, one. Uh, yeah, we ran the five three one. Um, that was probably where we first started. Yeah, and then we did. Well, uh, it, it first started just to see who could be, get the bigger deadlift, and who could just lift the heaviest realistically. <laughs> that, yeah, that's where it, that's where it started. That's where the. Uh, Which sort of... I, I, I'm your typical uh, strong back, weak legs lifter, so I was always going to have the bigger deadlift because Adrian's got stronger legs. Um, just how we're built. Uh, that's kind of a weightlifting thing too. Uh, if you've never heard that term, um, generally you'll kind of classify lifters into strong back, weak legs or strong legs, weak back. Um, and it just kind of shows which area is kind of the more dominant. Yeah. Um, I've found that's been a really cool way to just simply classify people as well, because I've still not come across someone that doesn't fall into that category. Um, and even when we look at like all the literature for strength training, it all come out of Soviet weightlifting. Um, like you're looking at um, like Verkchansky, Zatsyovsky, like all these, these names that I'm probably butchering um, that wrote all the original Soviet texts um, on weightlifting. It, it all come out of like, you know, Soviet uh, Russia. Um, and that's basically the, the kind of foundation for all periodization it's the foundation for, for everything. Um, some of it is, is really great and we can still apply and other things, uh, not so much. So for example, one of the biggest things that when you actually kind of really delve into the literature, it just really isn't there is the kind of classic, um, you know, four, one paradigm of periodization where you have four weeks building one week deload, four weeks building one week deload. <laughs> Um, that's really never come out as a solid science for 
how to periodize your, your training box. It's literally just been, you know, what we've done ever since, like, like I said, the, the Soviet papers, yep. uh, the initial stuff on, on periodization. And, and we still kind of um, run with that arbitrary uh, kind of work to recovery ratio, I guess. Um, whereas the thing that, that I've kind of moved towards these last couple of years is more individualizing um, those kind of things um, rather than, I guess, special exercises, I'd say. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's when you kind of initially start looking into strength and, and strength training, there's there's a lot of kind of uh, magic bullet exercises that are really easy to get sucked into. Yep, yep. Um, you know, like uh, deficit deadlifts, uh, block pulls, uh, doing everything but an actual bloody deadlift. Um, you know, like all you have to do is watch West Side versus the World, and you know it'll be like, hey, here's how to be a powerlifter without ever doing a squat bench or a deadlift. Um, and if you think that's the right approach, you're, you're an idiot. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I had a student fun. come up to me. Sorry? They make it fun. They make it interesting. Oh, for sure. Right. For sure. It, it's, it's fun. Uh, but I don't know. This is kind of actually a really cool thing that I, I, you know, I like to say to people is there's got to become a, a moment where you choose if you're doing this for enjoyment or if you're doing it to win. Yeah. Um, because the training involved in being competitive it is not fun. No. Um, it's ridiculously repetitive and it's just batshit boring. Um, probably shouldn't make batshit jokes in the light of the coronavirus, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, but no, so I think like that's kind of one thing um, that, that needs to be reevaluated. The, the other thing is, uh, I know me personally, I used to have, um, it, was, it was always, I've always worked in ratios. Yep. Um, but like I've always had like, you know, 30 to 40 reps above 80% for squats, 30 to 40 reps for bench, and then 15 and 20 reps above 80% for, for deadlift. Yeah. Um, and I think over the years from kind of working with other coaches and just kind of evaluating my own and, and my client's progression, I've really noticed that that's a moving target for a lot of people. Um, I've noticed massively that it, when I initially did that training, the squat and the bench together, yeah. uh, I was massively under training the bench press um, because the bench, the muscles, you know, kind of responsible for the bench just recovered so much quicker. And this is kind of in regard to kind of recoverable volumes because they're such smaller muscles in comparison um, that the bench can pretty much handle uh, the cumulative volume of the squat and the deadlift combined rather than just the squat. Um, so I, I initially massively undertrained the upper body. Um, what else have I done wrong? Lots. Um, uh, the, the 80% is, is probably pretty good, I found, for, for squat for most people. Bench, 80%, not so much. Needs to be about 85 and above. Yep. Um, and deadlift seem, seems okay. Um, but even then I've, I've moved away from percent based as well. So a lot of this is, is quite arbitrary. Um, I used to prescribe percentages. I don't anymore at all, pretty much. What are you doing now? More RPE or you're doing rest reserve? Yeah. So I 
depends on the phase. Um, the phase. So before I answer that, I think that's a really cool question, but I think it's a cool segue to talk about this quickly is I still take a phasic uh, approach to training. And one example I always give people is if a weightlifter uh, or a powerlifter can do their one RM year round, um, they're leaving results on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to be able to do your one RM year round. If you can, it's purely because of your ego. Uh, it's better to detrain one element while we train another. So, for example, lose a little bit of strength to whack on a bit of muscle, uh, which increases your capacity for strength. So, simple phase potentiation. That's why it goes in the order of hypertrophy strength power. So, uh, hypertrophy increases muscle mass, which increases our ability to exert force. Um, strength increases our ability to exert force. Uh, power is force expressed um, with velocity. So each phase increases the ability of the next phase to be successful. So if you take a phasic approach, it works. So in my hypertrophy phases where we're adding volume, uh, I will use reps in reserve uh, pretty much exclusively. Um, I, I won't use anything else. Uh, the only thing for weightlifting, I don't. Uh, for the snatch and the clean and the ollie lifts, uh, I tried. It just doesn't seem to work um, because, like, you know, anyone who's who's done weightlifting knows that, like, you can't really gauge a snatch by I could have done two more. Uh, it just doesn't work. Um, yeah, not. <laughs> sorry? Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no. Um, but to kind of answer your question, instead of percentages, when it comes to a strength phase, I'll use a combination of both. Yeah. I will... Um, both percentage and uh no i don't use percentage at all so that'll um on like on the spreadsheet the the client will get there'll be no percentage yep um i will do the percentages and i'll give them a range um so like i will give them a range of you know a plus minus so i'll give them you know say um jordan uh for a three sets of two deadlift um i'll give him you know, three sets of two, um, week one through week four. Week one yep. might be three sets of two uh, from, say, 200 to 210. And yep. then I'll go in and have a look. And if you've got all three sets at 210, um, then I'll slide it up to 205 to 212. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then if you only got 205, then I'll slide it back down for the next week. Um, and I'll give them that range, but I'll also have the conversation with them that says, hey, look, these are just a guide. If during your warm-ups something feels stupidly heavy, um, then you know, pick something that feels like it should. So, for example, if 180 moves like 200 moves, do 180. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where, where, where I kind of sit and I think it's just more about educating the person once they understand it's okay to not hit the top number in that range um then it's a lot a lot better yeah yeah because a lot of people just get caught up in in focusing on that I guess just trying to hit that that big number that's how they're going to get stronger but not Mm. not just that like there's so many different factors in this now that we've sort of discovered and worked worked out yeah and Mate, to be honest, I've I've still got a ton to learn. Oh, <laughs> um, we all do, don't we? Oh, we all do. Um, 
but like I think the other thing um, is just deloads is is the thing that I'm still working out um, is kind of when to put them. Uh, I used to have a more rigid approach, um, kind of that kind of Soviet, like yeah. four weeks on, one week yeah. off. Uh, and then I kind of went, yeah, you know, maybe this doesn't doesn't work. Then maybe it was six. Sometimes that's too long. Um, you know, maybe we don't need a full week deload. You know, what I'm currently doing is I'll still kind of modify the program every four weeks, uh, but it won't necessarily be a deload. It might just be... You know, for example, if, if if it's a hypertrophy phase, if you started at kind of full reps in reserve, then went down to one RAR, then instead of doing a deload, um, I might just go straight back into four reps in reserve. Yeah. So you're still getting a training stimulus, but your training yeah. stimulus has significantly reduced, yeah. um, but you can still roll into a new block. Um, I just did a six-week program for someone that I kind of went um, – like four, three, two, one, two, one. Okay. Um, I'm going to see how that goes. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just find some people, I don't know. I think it's important just to kind of check in with, with the person because, yeah, deload wise. And I guess this kind of talks to that second question in kind of genetics and recovery. Um, yeah. Some people can recover. Yeah, it's, it's exactly uh, right. A lot better. Um, I don't know. What, what have you kind of found? I know you're kind of working in more a, a clinical space. Um, yeah. Now, next week we'll have to do a podcast that's more clinical for you to talk to because I'm kind of in that more clinical space now where I'm still kind of on the gym floor. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still one of the uh, the plebs to you. Nah. No. <laughs> Mate, that's the um, in your craft. No, nah, no, nah, I'm only teasing. Um, but yeah, before I kind of go into kind of my thoughts on kind of, uh, I guess, recovery and, and um, you know, maybe a little bit on genetics and my very limited understanding on genetics, um, you know, what, do you have anything to add to kind of what I kind of talked about with with uh, strength training and, and that kind of stuff or your personal experience? Yeah, I guess like... Anecdote. Um... Yeah, similar sort of stuff to you, like you said. Like we've both sort of modified it over the years. Um, like we're pretty regimented in what we did initially when we were both training for ourselves, but it was also our clients, where it was very much the either the five three one or the uh, what, we, what we were doing at one stage there. Um, oh, we did everything. We did shaker. Oh, I never did that. I wasn't that stupid. Oh, I was dumb. <laughs> I did Bulgarian. Um, what else without, did I do? Without the special vitamins, isn't that right? Yeah, without the special sports supplements. Right. Um. Um, so, yeah, like over those years, like obviously you learn, and that's the thing, I think the biggest thing is we've learned from doing things on ourselves and then sort of realize, okay, this is not going to work or this might not work for us, but it's something that you can try with the client and see what happens and see how they, how they react to it. I guess that goes into the... Uh, the recovering genetic side of things, but um, I guess yeah. we've sort of developed from that more regimented type programming to sort of that, the, I guess, the uh, the sliding scale where you're like, yeah, you're using more the, the R reps and reserve type or the RPE type 
because we realised that yeah, training's more a lot more than just um, the loads and mm. hitting those loads or hitting those reps. It's more about how you're feeling on the day and what you're able to do. And if you're able to hit those 80, 90% that we're always trying to strive for, if you, if those 80 to 90% are now uh, on the day, you're all right. Sorry? You're right there? Yeah, what's up? Oh, okay. <laughs> it just sounded like you, yeah, you had a big sigh and you did. Oh, no. I was just agreeing. Oh, okay. So, mm. <laughs> uh, you made a very good point. I was just, uh, just passionately agreeing. Yeah, right. Um, well, now, now the focus is more on like what are you capable of doing on the day is more important and trying to, yeah. try to maintain that intensity to some extent or get close to that intensity is just as important as actually just trying to hit that intensity consistently. So uh, I guess it's sort of changing and that's what we've learned. For sure. Um, I think, you know, and like we're, we're just kind of really talking in the wheelhouse of strength. Like if anyone's interested in hypertrophy, um, obviously we can talk about it, but I refer anyone to like Mike Isretel has literally talked about max recoverable volume on like 150 oh, yeah. podcasts. Um, and I've listened to pretty much every one because – Every single time he says the exact same crap, but I learned something new. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend anyone to listen to, to Dr. Mike um, on any of that, that stuff for hypertrophy. But yeah, what Adrian's saying is exactly right. But like I'll still, I, I've used kind of a sliding range that Adrian's talked about for, for years. It's something I still use. Um, and you'll hear like even what I said about uh, Jordan's programming is only when he gets all reps I look to increase. Yeah. So for example, I'll do, I'll always do a range of like uh, one, to, my ranges are always one to three, three, five, five to eight, eight to 12, 12 to 15. Um, and once you go up the range and you get all, essentially all reps in your top three sets or top however many sets it is, uh, then that means something increases next week. Now in a hypertrophy block, that might be the addition uh, of either more reps or an extra set. Um, so for example, if you're doing three by um, 8 to 12 or even 10 to 12 if I'm scaling a little bit higher it might then once you've got all 12 we'll go to uh, 12 to 15 or it could be uh, 4 sets uh, whereas in a strength training program it would be 3 sets of 5 to 8 once you get all of 8 or 3 to 5 whatever it might be once you get all you increase the load on the bar uh, and essentially do it again until you get to the top uh, reps then increase as generally somewhere between 5% uh, increase for lower body lift, lifts and 2.5% for upper body lifts uh, of total bar loading. Yeah, right. Um, I do all that kind of on the spreadsheet for the clients. They don't have to math the crap out Quite of it. Quite in depth, bloody confused. Sorry? Sounds like they'd be confused. Yeah, I do it all for it. I just go, just just pick the shit up. Uh, right, no, it's so like the, the client will get... Uh, you know, say uh, three sets of three to five at, uh, say, 190 to 200. And let's say they do three sets of five at 200. Uh, That means it will slide up again. And next week will be uh, three by three to five at a a higher load or with a higher range. Right. I guess the only thing I've changed in the last year or two is I've always put the range on the reps um, with a fixed load. Yep. Uh, now I've started putting 
uh, a range on both for some people. Uh, and this is kind of another interesting sidebar is but only for some people in the first couple of years of training, uh, give them a fixed load because they need to learn uh, what hard is. Yeah. Um, whereas if someone's been training for, you know, five years, uh, like the, they're pretty good. Intermediate to the advanced yeah, for sure, for sure. If it's a beginner, even even like early stage intermediate, um, you know, like if you give an intermediate a, a program that says do three sets of five to eight at uh, 100 to 120, like they're going to do three by five at 100 yeah. um, because they're soft. Um, you know, whereas if you've got someone that's been training a little bit longer, they know what it feels like, they know how to push themselves, they're going to be like, okay, I can I can push the ticket here. Um, I can do three by five at a hundred, uh, this week, you know, maybe they do eight, seven, five. Um, and that's what I like to see. Like, I, I don't like to see straight reps on a program. No. Um, if I prescribe a range and you get straight reps, it means, it means you're going up. It's as simple as yeah. that. You know, if you get, you know, five, five, three, um, then that's good. Like I'm, I'm where I should be programming wise cause I'm pushing a stimulus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've I've changed. I've, I always give a range on the reps, but the range on the load is is only for kind of yeah, like like Adrian's uh, more into higher stage intermediate uh, to advanced. Actually, the um, next question: Would you do you think it'd be more efficient to prescribe just your sort of set reps for the, the beginner? Do you think we get caught up in the, uh, I guess you get caught up in both ends where you think they're a beginner and you're like, oh, we just got to do three sets of 15 for everything. But then you also get other people where they're like trying to do all this fancy sliding stuff and RPE stuff for a beginner and it just sort of becomes very overwhelming for them that they're actually not sort of working as efficiently as it could be. Oh, for sure. I think... Um the way I kind of approach that is I don't ever give a beginner um, an RPE or an RIR initially simply because like the literature that uh, Eric Helms has published out of uh, university of Auckland, I believe um, is pretty, pretty clear that beginners just suck at rating RPE and they can't do it. Yep. Um, so what I, but what I will do is I will give them uh, set loading, but then get them to write the what they prescribe it as um so that they get used to recording an rar uh from like day one so that they because it's a skill it's like everything else uh, i might not give it to them you know if i had person like first day in the gym i'm not going to do it like day one in the gym but maybe like three four weeks into training um you know after they've kind of understood what a barbell is and, and kind of how to move their body uh and then the, the biggest thing with something like rpr uh sorry RPR, rir uh, and even rpe is making sure you anchor it um you know for example i remember like i had i had one one client one time who was like just pretty much dying um like could not do another rep and i was like what was that rpe like out of 10 he was like ah oh. it was maybe a four and i was like what and then I, I i talked to this guy and he told me like some of the stuff he'd done like he was um he was ex-military yeah right. and so he was like 
yeah, like I've been put through hell with some of the other crap I've done. I was like, ah, okay. It's like, no, no. So when I say this, here's what I mean. Um, So you're always going to anchor it. So RIR, reps in reserve, it's kind of like gun to your head. How many more reps could you do? Um, And so like if they're not getting another rep, they're like, no, that was zero. Um, You know, if they're like, I could probably do two. And then for a beginner, it's always good every now and then to just kind of throw in an AMRAP where you're like, okay, yep. when I say now, call out your RIR, you know, maybe bicep curls. And you go, call your RIR. It's like, oh, three RIR. It's like, okay, keep going. And then they do 15 more. And it's like, yeah, see? <laughs> um, it's not a bad idea to do that. Um, and I even do that with my like intermediate guys as well. Um, that's something I did. I kind of suggested and, and where we do a PPT uh, with some of the strong um, squads is they'll do an AMRAP um, just to see where they are RIR-wise. Yep. Um, and that's – so Sean had that idea, which is a really cool idea because he uses RIR um, in the, the strong squad programming. Uh, and then I just kind of did a little math behind it to figure out you know, if it was uh, a two RIR, um, how many theoretically, what's the acceptable range? So if it's two RIR and you get six, is that acceptable or not acceptable? Like, is that still falling in a percent where we want it falling? Um, and it seemed to have worked pretty well. Um, so I think that can be a really helpful uh, addition as well with just every now and then just hitting someone with an AMRAP to go, hey, you know that, that, you know, 60 kilos that you said was a two RIR, like I want you to go to failure this week um, and see where they get. Uh, any, any other thoughts um, strength training-wise before we talk a, a little bit about, um, I guess, recovery and fatigue and genetics? Yeah, I think we should go. We can go on to the next topic. Are you training? I am trying to. <laughs> I uh, trust you to actually start trying to train in a pandemic. Trying. Uh, good on you, man. Um, sorry. What was that? Man, you don't get this Adonis body by sitting around all day. Just uh, <laughs> trying to do some. What am I trying to do? Some flies on a a Swiss ball because we don't have a bench at the moment. Very hard. <laughs> Nice. Don't you have a cable machine? Yeah, I do, but... Just do flies on the cable, man. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, Always thinking of the listeners. Yeah, so... Except for when you sneeze and blow Paddy's yeah, eardrums. Yeah, that's it. So if you hear weird, like, farting noises, it's just me sliding off the Swiss ball. It's really not. <laughs> it's something else. Uh, he needs to see a doctor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Actually, speak, cool. talk about strength. Yeah. Don't try to... Don't try to build strength on a Swiss ball. No. No, let's not go down. There's that only a uh, one outcome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should we tell the story about uh, my rescuing you uh, with a thirty kilo dumbbell? Yeah, sure. Why not? And then you're rescuing me, which resulted in me injuring myself. Right, I don't remember that. <laughs> Twice. Twice. All right. So, little story for for the listeners here. Uh, we'll talk about my rescuing Adrian and then Adrian's attempt twice uh, to rescue me. So Adrian's doing um, 
uh, we're doing incline dumbbell bench, uh, and we're doing high reps because at fit and fast, it only went up to 30 kilos. And so I'd finished my set. Yeah, we're going to Adrian's 30 kilos. Pretty much. Each hand, 30 kilos, not 30 kilos total. (laughs) Yeah, 30 kilo dumbbells, 30 kilo each hand. Uh, and Adrian, Adrian's going, going, going. And then his uh, left arm has just failed and the dumbbell has just come straight towards his head. And me standing behind him, I've grabbed the dumbbell and pulled it uh, off him, like grabbed it. But because I've taken, you know, grabbed it, I've literally fallen on the ground to the left. And because he's got one dumbbell raised on the bench in his right arm still, he's flung off the bench to the right. <laughs> um, so we're both laying on the ground with a 30 kilo dumbbell. <laughs> it was better than saving his head. Uh, when he tried to rescue me, uh, once he was spotting me, the rack was a fixed rack, so I had to stand outside. Uh, and there's a video of Adrian just watching me fall on my back uh, with like 150 on my back maybe. No, you're um, huh? You were right. I, I caught it. No, you I didn't. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. You literally, there's a video you literally watched. Um, and then the second one, Adrian was standing to the left of me while I was benching and I failed on my chest and he's literally grabbed the left end of the barbell and lifted it. So he just whacked all the pressure onto my right pec, uh, for no reason. (laughs) I don't remember that one. You don't? Oh man, that hurt. You got the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Probably back in the C4 days. Couldn't remember anything. Oh, yeah, we took a lot of pre-workout. That was bad. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, it's no good So no good uh, spotting someone in a in a commercial gym. Too many distractions. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like watching the, the Tay-Tay film clips and singing along. They're so catchy. You just can't get those songs out of your head after all. Oh, they really are. We also had, like, two or three members try and fight us when we were working there. Yeah. Main, mainly you. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> it was you. We'll, we'll keep that story for another time. Yeah, we will. If one of them, we're not going to tell. Oh. Um, yeah. um, it was funny though. Oh, yeah, actually, I had that one guy try and fight me and then it turns out he was a guest lecturer at the uni I was a researcher at. Yeah, that was a good one. That was, that was good. That guy's still a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyway. Right. We digress. <laughs> we digress. Um, okay. Oh, actually, let me just tackle one thing quickly before we get into um, recovery and genetics, which won't take too long. But I just want to quickly do this just to make sure I piss at least two people off um, in this podcast. Uh, I don't actually know if it'll piss anyone off, so I don't even know if there'll be two people that listen. But anyway. Um, so one of the things I said on my story was I might touch on VBT or velocity-based training um, because it is a bit controversial. There's a lot of coaches saying it's pretty much it's a must. Uh, there's a lot of coaches saying it's not. Um, and I just kind of wanted to, to kind of weigh in with, with my two cents uh, on VBT. So VBT or velocity-based training uh, is using a, an external device that measures bar velocity um, and prescribing as such. Um, I don't, there's nothing wrong with it in terms of measuring bar velocity. Uh, I think it's fundamentally a really good thing to do. However, it is exactly that. It is a measurement tool. It is not a prescription tool. For example, if you measure bar velocity 
over time, this will allow you to create a force velocity profile of the individual, which is still questionable if you can even do that. But anyway, um, you can monitor it over time and be like, okay, they moved 80 kilos quicker than they used to. That's probably a good proxy measure for X. Um, however, it's not a good idea to prescribe uh, velocities. For example, move the bar at this velocity. Um, simply because every single time you move a barbell, you should move it with maximal velocity. Therefore, if you move a barbell at maximal velocity, you should artificially be able to manipulate velocity sure based on bar loading. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're always moving a bar at max velocity, if you're always moving a barbell at Vmax, then additional load equals slower velocity. Uh, lighter load, increased velocity. So you can manipulate velocity simply by loading. Um, it is a good measure for measurement, not for prescription. If you are prescribing a velocity, and also if you think that a lifter uh, can lift a bar at, you know, either 0.6 or, uh, you know, 0.75 meters per second and during a deadlift, a clean a snatch, uh, you know, consciously move a bar at that velocity, uh, you're an idiot. Uh, that, no, there is no possible way that we can do that. Um, and if you're telling someone to move a bar slower than they're actually able to move it, there are a lot of um, nervous system uh, adaptations you're missing out on by doing that. And there's tons of literature I can refer you to. Um, for that, uh, I think it's fantastic for a measurement tool. I think it's fantastic um, addition to a lot of training. Uh, I just think if you become reliant on VBT uh, and start doing things like that, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for for uh, immense failure in the long term. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So anyway. Controversial topic. I've weighed in. Um, if anyone disagrees, uh, I love that. Please let me know. Um, cool. Let's quickly touch on recovery uh, and then genetics. Recovery. Do you want to kind of start? Um, sure. So I guess in terms of recovery, there's so many different ways you can, I guess, apply it. Um, I guess it's one of those things. It become first of all, it's each person recovers differently. So you can prescribe exactly the same program, get them working at the same intensities, but have one person recover within the day, um, and then you get someone else to recover. Oops. And you get someone else. Rec- <laughs> Sorry, I was just getting my car. And you can get have someone recover and take three days to recover. Uh, there's so many different. I guess factors that influence this. Training age is one. Uh, genetics, gender. Uh, what else we got? I guess supplementation. Which we probably won't go too deep into nutrition. There's so many things that influence recovery. Um, mm. So yeah, there's yeah, there's like not really there's an efficient way of doing it, I guess, and it has to be it's very individual. Um, how would you, how would you, you there? 
Hello. All right, so we may have lost Adrian. We'll give him a minute to see if he reconnects. Can you hear me? Yeah, mate, you there? I am here. Sorry awesome. about that. I don't know what happened. No, it's all right. Um, you'd kind of just finished talking about recovery was the last thing I got uh, and asked how would I something. I, I'm not sure exactly what you asked. Uh, yes, I was going to I was just uh, saying like, if it's to do a case study as an example on how you'd prescribe, like I said, because recovery has so many factors determining it or, um, that affect it. If we were to do like a quick case, like a beginner starting a, say, hypertrophy into strength block, mm-hmm. uh, like what sort of things would we, we should we focus on for recovery? Okay. And we'll say male, early 20s. Okay. Um, in terms of what they should do for recovery? In terms of uh, what, how would you, yeah, in terms of what, what should be done for recovery? Uh, uh, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. Um, there's, there's pretty much zero literature to suggest that any of these gizmo uh, crap is going to do anything for you. Don't waste your money on a Theragun. Uh, don't waste your money on... Um, you know, what, what are they called? The electrical stimulation, um, sex toy looking stuff. Just don't waste your money. Um, doesn't work. Basically, the top things you can do are literally rest uh, and eat. Yep. Um, so rest and eat. Um, however, I think I'll just quickly... So I, recovery definition is, is return to baseline. Um, just, and just a quick side note for any exercise scientists out there that are like, Mitch... What about supercompensation from Hans Selye's, uh, I think it was 1989 paper, um, General Adaptation Syndrome. Uh, if you think that your baseline increases after every single session, uh, we should all be benching 300 within a year. Um, so just, just remember that. Um, but anyway, that's what recovery is. Uh, fatigue, however, fatigue is actually extremely linked to everything we've spoken about with pain. Uh, fatigue is uh, simply a perceptual measure. If we look at the literature, uh, Robert Anoka has done some really cool work on this. Fatigue is purely perceptual. Fatigue is, hey, do you feel sore? Yes, I do. Do you feel you know, recovered? No, I don't, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's been plenty of examples uh, come out of the lab I work in at Western Sydney where we have people who are 100% recovered. Um, you know, we, we measure them on an isokinetic dynamometer. Everything is 100% returned to baseline. Uh, but they'll rate their quadriceps soreness like 7 out of 10. Uh, so fatigue and perception of fatigue and recovery are two completely different things. Uh, so that's the first thing I'll say. Um, and honestly, like I think it would actually be really cool if we did a whole episode on fatigue um, because, or like kind of borrowing pain science to fatigue because there are some really sick links between pain science and fatigue. Um, but anyway, we won't get too much into that today, but that'll just kind of get you thinking. So recovery, um, I think recovery is just the ability to, you know, get back to baseline, like I said. So the biggest way to ensure recovery, the biggest way is to not do too much to start with. Uh, if you do too much and you exceed the amount of work you can recover from, then it takes longer to recover. If you stick within the amount of work you can recover from, then you'll recover within your normal trajectory. 
Um, for the most part, like we talk about kind of uh, like central fatigue and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can, you know, I, I debate quite a lot of that um, and just kind of simply call it fatigue. Um, however, there, there are certain elements of kind of we can, we can look at from nervous system and periphery. Um, however, it is cumulative uh, and it is cumulative with perception, um, like I just mentioned. So that's one thing you want to keep in mind as well. But, you know, to kind of, in a roundabout way, answer your question, don't overdo it in the session, uh, which is why it's a good idea to always stay a few reps shy of failure and not, you know, get in the gym and every single set just like, you know, this is the last set of your life, just leave it all on the table. Um, <laughs> you know, it, look, that kind of training probably has its place somewhere throughout the oh, yeah. year, um, you know, but probably not every single week, um, you're just going to burn out. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, if you look at kind of the more work you can fit under the curve, uh, kind of is going to add up to the more gains. So if you can fit, you know, 30 sets or 20 sets a week in, uh, per muscle group on average and recover just fine and get five weeks of solid training before you need to back off a little versus you know, balls to the wall, you can get 15 sets and after three weeks, you kind of get the flu. Um, you know, uh, over time, one's going to work out better than the other. Yeah. Um, play the long game. Exactly right. <clears throat> um, all right. Kind of answer the second part of the question, uh, you know, genetics or individual. Do you want to kind of talk to that initially? Sorry, I missed that. Genetics. Genetics or like individual kind of differences in, in recoverable volumes. So how much work someone can recover from. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there is, uh, there is a difference. Like, I guess it goes more into what they're, um, I guess it comes back to that, that what we're talking about with fatigue is between you and I, there's, we could be, like I said, we could be doing the same, same loads, but one of us is going to get through one a lot easier, recover a lot easier and, and get into, well, depending what sort of training. So like an example was when we do strength training, you, depending what sort of lifts we're focusing on, I think it was, I'd recover from a bench a lot quicker than you would. Mm -hmm. And then, and then. And with that, my bench was increasing a lot quicker as well. Um, as an example, I guess that's just like a real life case, like example. Yeah. Um, so that's probably like a good example. Obviously, it's only a very small sample size, but it goes. It shows like, yeah, where with a deadlift, I'd uh, recover a lot slower and uh, be a lot more fatigued. Yeah. From that, and and then that's it, and it showed how both yeah you were able to deadlift twice a week sometimes and i'd only be able to do it once a week because it takes me a whole week to get over it yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and that's and obviously and, and with that came the uh your your obviously your deadlift increased a lot higher than mine um and at a greater rate like i still catch you but yeah right uh, so as an example and that's just two different lifts and we're basically doing similar sort of programming uh pretty much the same program with the same sort of uh, 
loading intensities and volume. And uh, I think that's just a good example of like how, I guess, uh, how each individual can, can recover differently. Or yeah. Differently. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so I think that's, yeah, it's a really good example. I think kind of one thing, um, I'll, I'll kind of add just factors to think about recovery wise as well. Uh, just like super personal, uh, anecdote, which is quite easy to understand everything Adrian just said, um, super true. And it's probably more, um, analogous to weightlifting, um, for me, cause kind of, this is when this happened, but weightlifting wise, when I was weightlifting, um, I could clean two, three times a week with one being pretty much working up to, to a near max pretty much every week. Uh, I could snatch pretty much every day. Um, I could squat pretty much three, four times a week. Um, additional to the cleans, like a few of those might just be, you know, some light front squats, um, you know, one of them was, was a near max front squat. One of them was probably like a 85 to 90% um, back squat. And then the other was kind of just getting some reps in um, just fine. Uh, and then uh, I was on a basketball court five days a week and I pretty much struggled to clean um, anything over what would be like 70 to 75% of what my max at the time was uh, at all. Um, I struggled to squat below parallel pretty much at all um, because I was just that fatigued and sore all the time. Uh, and then squatting to depth would just accrue so much fatigue um, because I was on the court so much. It either affects my on-court performance or my on-court would affect uh, my training performance. Um, yep. And so it's just always – and on top of that as well, like just, just another thing like you know, anyone here, I know this is true for me, you know, anyone here who's gone through a breakup, like you train like shit. Um, like or when anything in life happens, like training doesn't happen in a vacuum, uh, which is why it's always important to, to – that's why I prescribe ranges because like, hey, you know, old mate's girlfriend left him um, and instead of getting three sets of two at 250, he got three sets of two at 180. You know what? That's okay. Um training you know doesn't happen in a vacuum that affects everything um you know and when we look at training from that side of things we, we start to see that there's actually a lot more links with everything we've been talking about kind of from the biopsychosocial model of pain uh that actually relate into strength training um anyway i digress um i think yeah adrian kind of kind of summed it up really well there's definitely individual differences um and it's really important to prescribe to those individual differences um you know for example uh, i gave the example last week uh, on the podcast of you know how everyone um at the moment has has gone to prescribing uh you know bodyweight programs like uh do do three sets of 15 three sets of 15 squats for someone like me at the moment's fine because i'm coming back from a dislocated ankle I literally squatted full depth for the first time yesterday with like 40 kilos and my legs are incredibly sore today because it's the first time I've been able to actually squat full depth in like six months uh, because finger uh, and then um, I had another kind of ankle injury and then dislocated ankle. So training's been modified for a very long time. Um, so literally leg sore. So three by 15 body weight squats, probably still too little, but three by 15, you know, for old lady with osteoarthritis, way too much. 
Um, you know, so that's why it's important to prescribe to individual differences with things like reps and reserve um, and ranges. To answer the kind of question a little bit more about genetics uh, and genetic differences in recovery, um, it's something I don't know a ton about. Um, I would advise people to listen to and read Dr. Andy Galpin's work. He does a ton with, with muscle biopsy uh, and genetics. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. Um, really? It doesn't hurt. Uh, it doesn't hurt. No, it only hurts when the needle goes in, just like any other needle. But there's no real saturation of nerves where they take the biopsy from, like in the meat of the muscle. Yeah, um, so you don't really feel it. Um, well, you wouldn't. But yeah, I don't know. I've always wanted to do it. Um, it's kind of cool. But yeah, so Andy Galpin does a ton. But like, just for a, a pure example, um, there was one example where he, he's done a lot of work with twins. There's been a lot of work with twins done. And there was one cool example where there was a, a set of um, identical twins, biologically identical twins. I think they had 50% slow to fast twitch muscle fiber ratio uh, when they reached kind of maturation. Um, one of the twins basically was then untrained uh, and the other twin uh, trained for, or I think they lived, lived an active lifestyle, but, they didn't kind of train or compete, but they were just kind of, you know, ACSM 30 minutes per day type crap. Um, and then the other one was a competitive marathon runner. And they did the, the muscle biopsies again to check um, fast and slow twitch muscle fiber ratios. And basically the twin who was active had kind of what you'd expect a normal adult ratio to be. Let's call it 50%. I think it was somewhere like 50 to 60%. And the marathon uh, running twin had like 90%. Uh, slow twitch. Oh, wow. um, and then there was also kind of another example he gave where it kind of really worked the other way. I think there's definitely um, genetic differences uh, in a lot of people. And, you know, we just, but there's, there's not only just genetic differences, there's uh, morphological differences as well. Like I'm six foot with long limbs. Um, whereas you look at, um, you know, someone else who's like five foot, two with long arms and it's like you're built to deadlift um you know or you look at adrian with like the longest legs in the world like adrian and i are pretty much the same height but his hips are up at my ribs um like we're obviously built quite different um so there's those factors as well and those morphological factors just pure physics and mechanics show that they change the the leverage of the the muscle on the joint so you would have either increased or diminished capacity for that muscle to produce torque, which is an angular force around a joint. Um, and so that's kind of another factor to consider. So there's, there's a lot play into it. Um, so I, I'm definitely not an authority on, on genetics, um, but I know that there is a very large degree of trainability in genetics. Yep. Um, yeah, but there is also a genetic potential. Uh, I think one kind of interesting little, little sidebar is uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, probably one of my favorite podcasts of all time, was asked um, what would happen if we could essentially have designer um, designer babies and we could design like a, a weightlifting world champion, um, give all the genetics of, of a weightlifting world champion. Uh, and his response, which which I've kind of, I agree with and I thought was just awesome, was he's kind of like, we probably wouldn't get anyone better than the current world champion because the current world champion is the summation of those genetics and those trainable yeah. genetics. Um, the difference, it wouldn't be, maybe, you know, they'd get 
you know, one to five percent increase on, um, you know, the world record. But that could possibly be attributed to environment, training, different time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the difference would be you could just pick when you got a champion rather than increase. Like, it's not like we're going to have a designer baby that suddenly snatches 300. Like, it's no, just not, it doesn't work like that. Um, genetics yeah, don't play. Still the, uh, no, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's still the nurture. It's still the, uh, the training that goes into developing that, like you said. Oh, for sure. And there's, look, there's definitely some people that are like 100% more attributed to a marathon than a sprint. Um, you know, there's definitely people that are more attributed to, to you know, lifting a heavy load um, or, or whacking on muscle than others. Um, yeah, that's right. But at the same time, the, right. other, the other thing I kind of say too is... People tend to sort, the, people tend to sort that cells out. That, that, uh, the, well, tongue yeah. People That tends to sell themselves out. Like you're not going to see, um, yeah, certain people go and be marathon runners when they're 150 kilos full of muscle, as an example. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and vice versa. You're not going to see little skinny marathon runner or someone that has been doing marathon runners then try go and become weightlifting champion. No, 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 no. They just know they, they, they just not, not capable of doing no, it. And, exa- and this is kind of the other thing too is, um, you know, kind of my, my final kind of point on genetics is like to a degree who gives a shit. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be competitive at something, like in reality, you would have already figured it out. Um, and if you're not going to be competitive at something but you enjoy it, who cares? You know, you don't have to win to enjoy something. Like if you just really enjoy, you know, we have to start looking at things as a process rather than, um, you know, a, an end. Exactly. Like, you know, bodybuilding doesn't have to be a show. Uh, powerlifting doesn't have to be a meet. Uh, it can just simply be strength training and hypertrophy training. If you friggin' love hypertrophy training, you enjoy it, you like how it feels, then you know what? Get to your genetic potential, wherever that may be. Um, you know, it's not going to be Ronnie Coleman. You know, like it's, it's just not, but you know, if you enjoy it, yeah. friggin' do what makes you happy. Who gives a shit if you don't have the genetics? Cause you can't change it anyway. That's exactly right. And that's, uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. They think, and they try every, every sort of way to sort of modify and just realize that they can't get to that, that end point. For sure. And that's how you start. You know, and that's where people get caught up in the performance enhancing side of things and, and um that side yeah and kind of my last my last thought too is is if if anyone's thinking about genetics you know kind of the opposite side of kind of that is like if you're a coach or, or a researcher or a practitioner and you think of genetics of you know but how can i figure out would there would there be a way we can genetically test who would be good at what sport so i could do two or three hours on the ethical uh, problems with with doing that from a, a humanitarian and a societal perspective. Um, I'm pretty sure they do that in some countries already. Anyway, oh, they 100 do. And the reality <laughs> of designer babies, like it's very likely already happening. Like the technology in the Western yep. civilization is not that far off. So you've got to imagine, um, you know, other countries could potentially already be doing it. Um, but there are massive ethical gray areas of like, should we genetic test to figure out, you know, like is sport really like that important like should we genetically test uh, an infant and figure out like oh you're going to be a great sprinter so we're going to make you sprint like who gives a shit 
Yeah, like sport, like yeah. Look, sports great. I've devoted my life to it. You have to, in a way, like exercise, movement, and the positives of physical activity. But at the end of the day, sport is purely entertainment. It's no different than the gladiators. Like it's literally a bunch of people sitting in the room, banging their hands together, uh, watching uh, other individuals pretty much compete and beat up on each other. Um, sport is extremely primitive by nature when we look at it uh, for that reason. So, should we decide the fate of an individual's life based on their genetic composition? Um, like. That, that's a massive ethical no-no for me. Um, so from that point, I don't think we should be devoting too much time to genetic research if that's going to be where it ends up because that's starting to look very much like George Orwell's 1984. I feel like we're already halfway through that. Uh, let's, let's, let's not go there because... Um, <laughs> let's not go down that rabbit hole at all. Let's talk about that off, be for a long off, time. offline because, yeah, we... Think so. We we definitely uh, have some repercussions for that one. Um, yep, yep. Definitely. But seriously, guys, keep the conspiracy theories coming because <laughs> I'm getting a great laugh. Oh yeah, it's great. not five G. Just just on, letting you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we will wrap it up for sure. That was a pretty pretty decent podcast length. Yeah, I think we covered uh, um, covered a few topics and a bit of ground there. That was good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, thanks again, guys. Thanks for your questions. Hopefully we covered or got the answers that you were looking for or got you thinking about things in a different way. Um, some good questions and keep them coming. Um, we'll try to get out of some more topics next week, answer a couple of more questions that we've missed next week. Um, thanks again. Keep following us. Keep liking us. Keep the questions coming. Um, thanks, Mitch, for today. Thank you. Got some good insights into that and um, for today's topics. And we'll uh, we'll see you guys again next week. So don't forget, like us on Facebook. Oh, not Facebook. Keep forgetting we don't do it. We do actually have Keep a like Facebook us on Instagram. page. We do actually have a Facebook page. We actually have more people on Facebook uh, than Instagram. Do we? Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. Oh, yeah, we do. So like us <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, we don't have a Twitter. And and Tinder and all of those all those platforms. Swipe um, right on the Rethink Movement Tinder page. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, it. For sure. <laughs> and we'll hear from you guys during the week and we'll get our next podcast up next week. Beautiful. Thank you, mate. All right. No worries. Thank you. As always, it's a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. All right. Take care, guys. See you, mate. Stay safe. Bye. You too. Stay safe, guys. Bye-bye.